In New Jersey, we found some key Welcome to this week's episode of Jersey Matters. We're your hosts. I'm Mike Prino. And I'm Casey McLean. This week, we're joined by two guests, one returning one, Colin Millay, who is a consultant at Fieldwinds. And hey, everybody. Nice to see everybody again. <laughs> and Dave Pilmanstein, president at Activate Media. Did I mess up your name? <laughs> oh, no. Unlike all of my fifth grade teachers, that was perfect. Sweet. Go, Sweet. All right. So starting off, we're going to go through a little bit of Legiscan news. Then we'll do, um, we're going to talk about the first African-American woman on the New Jersey Supreme Court and uh, a little controversy with her nomination. After that, most schools are going to be delaying in-person instruction. We'll talk about why that is. It's coronavirus. Then we'll talk about uh, a new local election ordered after mail-in voter fraud charges. And then some kind of battles going by uh, over the vote-by-mail process in New Jersey and in the country at large. After that, we'll end it on teens breaking into a New Jersey petting zoo. What does this mean for all of us? We'll let you know. And uh, after the headlines, we'll have a conversation with both Dave and Colin. So I think it's another good episode this week. Yeah, it's loaded. Teens breaking into the petting zoo is definitely the best euphemism for an anti-vax protest at the state capitol. <laughs> but no, exactly. we're actually talking about teens breaking into the petting zoo. <laughs> exactly. All right, Casey, oh, what do you have on? I'll just scan. Okay, Legiscant, so for those of you familiar with our show, we usually do a review of whatever Murphy's doing, Governor Murphy that is, and as of today, he hasn't passed any executive orders, which is shocking. Usually it's a couple. No more not flag a few. raising or not raising. Yeah, anyways. no flags have been risen or Lowered. descended. Lowered. Mm. <laughs> fell. Uh, it fell. So that's good for the flags across the state. And so I figured we should look into Legiscan because we try to like, I think regularly check in to see if anything's, you know, uh, running amok with our, our state Congress. But it looks like they've passed less bills, I guess. Less bills have been approved versus the executive order. So Murphy's been a little bit more busy, which is, you know, understandable, but also kind of shocking because I think as a whole, you guys can comment on this, but like, I would expect our Congress to be doing a lot instead of a little, because there's only been like six bills passed in the past month. And with the times as they are, like, uh, I'm not going to say like left wing or right wing conspiracies out there for New Jersey, but a lot of the times people will say, Murphy's passing so many executive orders. He's, you know, a communist like dictator, you know, mm. all these things about him. And when you look at the Legiscan, I, I was actually shocked about how little I've seen pass. And you guys can probably speak more adequately about the inner workings of the New Jersey government workings. But I was I was shocked. Well, I mean, Dave, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think this is sort of the tale as old as time, whereas despite us having a, you know, majority in both houses, it's the story of you know, the Sweeney contingent, right? Like, is Murphy going to get his ideas past Sweeney and his Senate? Like, let's not get it twisted. It's his Senate. And so it's a lot of party infighting. I know that's so shocking coming from the Democrats. But, you know, it is odd, especially in a time of crisis with, a you know, both, uh, you know, majorities in the House. Though you could argue, you know, maybe it's an easier way to get things done quickly with executive orders. But, uh, you know, Dave is somebody who's, I think, more versed currently in what's going on Jersey, why'd I be interested in your thoughts on this and sort of what's going on? So I think that like, yeah, so everything that you said is is valid and true. I think that probably no one is really interested in rocking the boat right now. I think that 
government resources are being invested optimally down the avenues that we already have. And I think that if there were to be any laws passed in the meantime that would fundamentally alter, you know, ways of living in the state, there would have to be relevant guidance. And, you know, everybody is running around more confused than ever right now. And, and I mean, in my opinion, at least, I don't know how susceptible they are to like law changes. I think that like the state government is pleading for the federal government to help them. Right. The county governments are pleading to the state and federal governments to help them. The local governments are kind of- No, I, I, I totally agree. I think also it might be a fear of being seen as frivolous, right? Like you could also see it as like an idea that if they do anything that isn't directly related to the pandemic and the stuff that we're dealing with, that it could come across horribly. And they're all looking forward to 2020, a lot of people looking forward to 2021. You know, there's there there's always politicking in, in that sense of the word. But yeah, I mean- it's just so odd. Like you're not, re- I'm not really sure not being in the room exactly what those conversations are like. Speaking of frivolous, uh, they really did make a big deal about the freeholder thing. I, and by that, yeah. I, the Republicans in the state really just like decided that that was the hill they were going to die on. Like this, this name shouldn't change. And it's like, okay, we're the only state in the country that uses a, a title for like a normal thing that other states have, but probably no national level orgs know how to find us because we are like, you know, we're the, we're the, like the Knights Templar of, of the <laughs> county, like that doesn't, and, and they're like, oh, we want to give you money, but we have no idea how to find your commissioners. As someone who's worked in a bunch of states across the nation, when I say the word freeholder, people think I'm talking about one of the many video games that I play as opposed to <laughs> New Jersey government. They're like, oh yeah, that's, that sounds like I'm, something that would be in a wow guild. Like, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad it's changed. It's like an antiquated term. We talked about it here before about how it goes back to like the colonial past it's kind of you know, a dark legacy of all that it's just strange it's just so strange that it took it taking this long or that anyone make a controversy over it like who really cares what we call it if it bothers some people you can just change it it's the same position that was one of the bills that passed really nothing else there's like some things about teaching and uh student athletes but it's really non-consequential for the majority of New Jerseyans. More things have passed from executive order from the governor's office than anything else for this month. And um, as this month comes to a close and schools start to quote unquote reopen, still we'll talk about that more in the headlines, but that's really all that's happening legislative wise in our state currently. Um, But that's really it for Legiscan and Murphy's Corner. So it's not really Murphy's Corner. It's not really much of a Legiscan. Uh, yeah, you get a break this week, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could talk about the budget just a little bit, at least. Yeah. Um, it's actually a good spot to do it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I figured, you know, Murphy's Corner was Murphy's budget. So uh, just today, actually, uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday. Phil Murphy went over to the beautiful Rutgers University and uh, gave the budget address in the stadium, uh, very socially distant. Uh, the AP is reporting that they were going to be nearly a, uh, you know, sort of the $41 billion initial plan, spending plan, was scrapped because of the pandemic. So what's currently happening is they're about facing about a $5 billion shortfall in revenue compared with the earlier projected budget. And to close the gap, they're doing a percentage increase on those making over $1 million annually. As well, he's cutting estimated reductions for Medicaid costs, and the details are very, very in the weeds. I uh, wasn't even gone into detail in the article. Can I, st- can I stop you and ask a question real quick? So Absolutely. one of the one of the issues of the previous budget was the wealth tax because that was a major goal of 
the Everton Murphy, but it was kind of held up. Well, kind of on both sides. Steve Sweeney was kind of talking out of both sides, both supporting it, not supporting it, and things like that. Is shocker. Yeah. Is the current are the current conditions of the state so desperate that now uh, nobody is going to oppose this wealth tax? That's well, not nobody, but I mean like nobody major. That's a great point. Is it's it's something where again, I think it comes down to where are you willing to put your hat at the end of the day? You know, are you going to fall on this hill? I think it was pushed back. I mean, right now we've got over a million raised by about a percent, percent and a half, right from eight point nine seven to ten seventy five. The big thing here is actually very, very big. The proposal of a two point five percent increase in the state's business tax. So that's massive. Like that is a big deal. And I think that is the hill they'll die on. I think he's using that. If I were to look at this very pessimistically in sort of a game theory way, I say you put that big chip so that they spend all their energy fighting that. And you push back hard to that to get millionaires tax, right? To get that income millionaires tax put through. Conjecture, complete conjecture. I have no, but there's just no basis in fact, other than just who does the business tax apply? Does it have like a range for how large the businesses have to be, or is it just like? So this is state. So this would be right. er- everything. You know, this oh, would be okay, across yeah. the That's board. That's gonna be I'm rough. Sure there, That'll be rough. Yeah, for, I'm, I'm sure it's gonna yeah. be rough for smaller businesses, and I think there's usually exemptions, right? There's there's right, always right. exemptions because most businesses classified in that way have to be over 50 employees. If you're That's looking awesome. at it from yeah from from those kinds of regulations, and I guarantee you that that's gonna be a huge sticking point. And again, I think that is very pie in the sky. I would be shocked if even something like that gets through, especially with all of the restaurants and other industries that have been hit so hard by COVID, right? I think that would be very hard to get through. I was going to say, is it in your professional opinion that millionaires will flee the state if there is a millionaire's tax? <laughs> they're, already fleeing, them? they're already fleeing the state because nobody stays around for a pandemic. It's actually a huge problem in the city. New York, The island of Manhattan is at the lowest it's ever been in census reporting because everyone has fled outside of New York and is not completing their census. Well, that's, I mean, that's a little different, right? So like, if you look at what's going on during the pandemic, you have a bunch of finance bros and their families that are living in in Manhattan and are like, I don't see the reason to pay Manhattan rent when I've been working from home for the last half a year. So I'm going to go get myself a backyard. Like, I think that's the major real estate trend. Unfortunately, I think the the worst part about talking about all of these taxes is is regardless of the political will to get it done, you end up hitting the brick wall of I don't know how like you can't predict the efficacy of these things because we have such a dense tax code and there are write-offs for everything, right? So like Murphy passed a write-off for media companies, for example. If you like do a major production in New Jersey, you get a giant tax write-off, you know. Any anyone can do expenses for their business in any one of a million ways. And people, even if you pass the millionaire's tax, people tend to hide their wealth in certain things. They can invest in college funds. They can invest in Roth IRAs. They can invest in high value artwork that's really hard to appraise. And so you get you get this thing where we can we can raise the taxes on Amazon all we want, but like they're still going to pay zero in federal taxes. So I think what we really need is is to really re-examine the tax code and, and kind of how many loopholes it has. And, and oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't agree certainly. with that more. The one thing I do want to point out, which I think is actually really important for those folks who may not have heard about this, is that the current fiscal year, and most lawmakers have been uh, agreed to extend it from June 30th to September 30th. So that's actually a really big for, you know, a ton of different reasons. 
lastly, the thing I want to point out is that the only reason this is being this budget is even happening or this proposal is happening, that uh, they were sort of appealing the New Jersey uh, State Supreme Court to borrow up to $9.9 billion, which is uh, otherwise unheard of. Uh, it was challenged by the GOP, and it was upheld that the law that Murphy passed was, in fact, constitutional. And so that's what's allowing us to have this proposal that we have. So what's going to happen with it, the different politicking we're going to see in the state Senate, and how the GOP is going to react and pivot that towards 2020. The quote that they used is basically... Uh, thankfully, next November, New Jersey families get to make their decision which they want most, Phil Murphy or their money. Uh, that's uh, uh, Doug Steinhardt, just a another another great uh, so one of the bar- three favorite chair. run for governor in 2021. I think oh, it'll either it'll be it'll be Steinhardt, it'll be Jack Chatterelli, who's I think already declared that he's running, or it'll be probably John Bramnick. One of the three of them is is virtually guaranteed to be the challenger next year. We'll is, see. I don't know. Murphy is, is, Murphy is it guaranteed that Murphy's going to run again? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good uh, question. It's not been clear. Uh, one of his initial platforms was doing two and staying in for the long haul that he would not be a one and done going for a federal office. So it'd be interesting to see if he balks on that, considering what he's gone through. I mean, he had the health scare. You know, he's dealt with oh, the yeah. pandemic. Like these are things to think about. Like he's as much as he's this this figure. You know, from what little personal interaction I've had with the guy. You know, he's pretty down to earth and he gives he actually cares about his family and, you know, does a lot of things that are pretty atypical of a normal person in the governor's mansion. So on, on the budget to or rather the borrowing, uh, I get why it was it was necessary, partly because the current administration and Congress won't plan a or can't plan a bailout for the states. Do you see if, say, Biden got elected? And maybe uh, the Senate's flipped. Is this something that you think Murphy's betting on? That the mm. that there will just be a bailout of New Jersey and a couple of other states because we're not the only state with um, a horrible financial situation. I think it's not even so much a betting plan. It's that's your only play, right? I think that's literally might be their only play to see a way out succinctly. <sighs> That's tough. I don't know. Because I don't even know if that solves the problem we're dealing with. I think it comes back to Dave's point where then you get into the issue of or how are we funding that, right? You know, it, it's the question nobody wants to answer because it's not easy. It's like, where is that going to come from? You know, it, we're, we're in a tough situation. So Before we move on to the headlines, you two, as our guests, we're using you as uh, the professionals on the pod. So if Murphy, before we close this out, if he were to not do a second term as governor, what do you think would be his move? Because we've seen a lot of politicians like try to run for the presidential seat, and that that's going to be a well-off time. Or do you think he's probably going to go to the private sector? I would be shocked if he went to the private sector, considering that was he pivoted from that, from Sachs, to running the DNC finance, right, and doing all the fundraising for you know, the DNC, you know, to get, you know, Obama elected first time. So I'd be shocked if he did that. I think nationally, I don't know. I mean, think tank, possibly a lot of them jump into think tanks, which is just like the easy cushy position. Yeah. I mean, that's a retire thing. I, I don't know. I, I feel like he's going to go again. I really you think do. He might go after Menendez's seat. What do you think, Dave? <laughs> uh, so I am of a completely different opinion. I think that he has national aspirations, particularly as the chair of the, uh, the Democratic Governors Association. I think that given his experience under the Obama administration, I think he might try to 
leverage uh, his his position in the DGA and the fundraising he's been doing for some sort of cabinet position in a Biden administration. And and if that happens, you know, then he can also parlay for maybe, you know, the, the attorney general to be someone like a Cory Booker. And then we get we get a whole shuffling around of things. You know, maybe you see a, a Donald Norcross in the Senate. I mean, I don't know. This could go. Yeah, that's the thing. In order to get up there, he's going to have to make some deals he might not be necessarily as OK with. I'm interested to see because I don't know where he would fall in a cabinet spot. I think it, it's interesting to bring up that that he is the chair of the GGA. And that is a very common move for people who are in that position to make that leap nationally. I don't think he would do a Senate seat. I think that is a step down from where he is in terms of his clout uh, nationally as well as on the state level. That's a tough call. I think we could speculate till the cows come home. But that's an interesting point, Dave. I, I didn't consider that. That's certainly a possibility if he doesn't run for a second term. It's interesting. All right. Actually, Dave brought this story to our attention. So maybe you can lead this one. The first African-American woman on the New Jersey Supreme Court. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. This is uh, you know a new development in the state court system. So New Jersey got its first uh, African-American woman on the state Supreme Court. Her name is Fabiana Pierre-Lewis. She was confirmed. Her nomination was confirmed by the Senate Judiciary Committee today, or rather yesterday, led by uh, Senator Nick Scuteri, who chairs the Judiciary Committee. And, you know, awesome, awesome diversity implications taken into consideration. I think that the other highlight of the story is when, oh, what's his name? Uh, is when Senator, uh, Senator Jerry Cardinale of Bergen County, an old Republican guy, asked her if she was a communist, point blank. But what uh, did she say? <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> uh, no uh, so... Mike so, would be her biggest fan. I know, right? <laughs> so apparently, so he started an argument with her drawing out... Uh, so this is coming from Ashley uh, uh, Balsterzak from, from NorthJersey.com. And so it says, and I quote, Jerry Cardinale, Republican from Bergen, tried to draw her opinion on the Mount Laurel Doctrine, a contentious Supreme Court opinion that required municipalities to use zoning laws to provide opportunities for affordable housing for low and moderate income families. The governor, Tom Kane, referring to Tom Kane, uh, said this was a communist idea and quote, said Cardinale, are you a communist? No, Senator, I am not, she said. Again, Senator, I do not think it's appropriate as a nominee to the Supreme Court to comment on the case. So yeah, so like oh, that's rough. The and is it is really, real. It like, it's like never really, ended. really old. Yeah, but it's also if you look at the kind of questions that judges get. I mean, we were just we just reviewed Judge uh, Solis's testimony before she was an appointed uh, federal judge, and her questions were you know about like capital punishment. Um, her with like sentencing guidelines writing as like a, I think as a, a civilian or as like a lawyer, not like a, a public figure and her opinions on that. So it's, we've talked about it before when we reviewed um, Paul Robeson's history in New Jersey about how you label someone a communist or even just, we talked about the Green Party last week, you know, you label someone a communist or an anarchist and it's a way to dismiss them and their opinions. And if you're already making, you know, you're in the position to become a judge, a federal judge, it's very, I don't know, belittling to Absolutely. be questioned in that way. They've, they've um, also, I think, overused it like so much on so many things that blatantly aren't communist that for most people, they just hear it. And they're just like, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I know it kind of, for a lot of people on the right, that 
builds up uh, a lot of like emotional anger and, and stuff like that. But they actually think like pretty much everything is communist or socialist. So again, it doesn't really matter. Most people aren't Democrat or Republican. They're just kind of not in the middle, but not borderline apolitical either. Just they, they don't attach themselves to a party. So I think this kind of rhetoric just doesn't, it may maybe work either... in the 1950s. It doesn't work as well today is what I think. Like, you don't believe that you're either communist or not communist in, in this in this America? Strictly speaking, that is a, actually like a logically true statement. You're either a communist or you're not communist. So I think this whole thing is a is a really interesting example of a larger kind of trend within within courts and legislatures all around the country. Is you're just seeing hearings becoming even more of a partisan spectacle than they already were. Yeah, you're saying they're just going for sound bites. Yeah, it used to be a place where you would just legitimately try to like suss out people's positions on stuff. But now uh, everybody wants to have a viral moment. The people who are being asked questions of, they understand that they can hedge any sort of question or filibuster any question without any sort of repercussion, either legally or to their reputation. So there's a there's a, a need for reform there. I don't know what that reform would be, but I'm I'm getting really sick and tired of of media outlets covering this stuff, you know, tripping over each other to cover this stuff to the nail when when it's it's just not productive. Um, and and we have frankly, in my in my personal opinion, we just have a president who doesn't believe in shame, and like the rest of the country is following suit. So like, right, exactly. shaming someone is no longer a viable option. Well, and, and it also comes from incentive, though, right? Like, what is the incentive that any of these news outlets have to not do this? There is none, right? It's because the current model is set up in that, well, if they're continuously rewarded for this same behavior, which we can see in every analytic is the case, that's the reason why it happens, then it's going to keep happening. It's, you know, and you're absolutely right. It doesn't change your, you know, point. Your point is still very valid. The problem is, is that it's not conducive or constructive in our discourse, but it pays the bills. And right now, when you're struggling to make ends meet at every paper in the United States, when every news outlet and, you know, every other place, these things are going to keep happening. And what you're seeing right now, you know, and Mike, I didn't necessarily want to step on your toes here, but like that sort of national discourse is if I put out enough flack, someone's going to cover it. And then therefore I can get done what I actually want to get done because no one's going to be paying attention because I just said something ridiculous. I think that's exactly right. All right, so let's move on to most schools are delaying in-person instruction. I can talk about that. So this is an article from WHYY by Christine Hulbert. She writes that New Jersey coronavirus recovery, most Jersey schools delaying in-person instruction. I don't think that's too much of a uh, surprise because we've I, I reported either last week or the week before that New Jersey was doing pretty good in terms of lowering cases down to like 300, about 200 a day. And then in really starting towards the end of July onwards, it starts going up uh, once again, which is kind of predictable based off of like we're a touristy state with the beaches. We didn't really shut the beaches down. Also, just as a general, uh, what's, the, what's the word? I guess it's like an apathy about wearing masks and stuff. We keep getting like huge parties busted. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw all of that. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Yeah. Person uh, Airbnb party was was broken up by the New Jersey police. So all this stuff will contribute to coronavirus cases going up. Plus, I think what was it? Uh, was it Alabama? It was one of the southern states 
just had like 30 some percent or whatever of their kids all get school yeah. in like the first i mean all get uh, yeah. the first week roll tide yes <laughs> yes so that's interesting i've got uh, a little personal touch to this so my mom's been a teacher for the past 30 years and you say that every time you're here colin <laughs> it's true and i'm proud of it because colin loves his mom or something i <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah. Right? God forbid I would love my mother. But no, the reason I'm saying that is because the reason why they're delaying in-person instruction is because there's a lot of teachers applying for leave. And I have a few awesome. friends who are applying for leave because they have two children, right? And both of them need remote schooling and the mother and the father are both educators. So how does that work logistically? Like think about that yeah. for a second. Like one of them has to apply for leave and that's not even counting like, you know, single teacher households, right? You know, we have kids who are also going to be, you know, maybe doing remote and then some remote. Like it becomes this incredibly difficult balancing act to figure out what you're going to do. So a lot of teachers will apply for leave. And my mom, who's, you know, getting up in age is uh, and she was like, do I really want to do this? Right. Like it's going to put me at serious risk. So it, it's just it's just such a terrible situation, because if you go remote, then you have a lot of it's putting such a burden on parents. Right. You know, and that's going to really put a damper on folks getting back to work. And without the aid coming from the federal government, and then that's putting us in a tough situation. But it is, you know, really the only way, especially with kids. I mean, God, I ride the, the path every day and fully grown adults don't know how to wear masks. Like, I can't right. imagine what it would be like to get kids to wear masks and to practice social distancing. I mean, it's rough, I think. I mean, we all know a teacher, you know what I mean? And it's difficult to say that you... You're a teacher. You signed up to be exposed and be the new front line. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that it's seems, not, seems pretty unfair. Yeah, you've given your life, and we've talked about it before Corona, the, the budget cuts in New Jersey schools was going to be very rough in general. So to go into COVID and have remote learning, you now have to make sure that kids in school districts that probably didn't have access to technology now have access at home. And this is, you know, barring any other kind of home issues like home life, like if there's domestic violence or drug use or alcoholism or mental health issues in that home, you now are putting these kids at greater risk because I know myself included, there's a large population of kids who were like school was their their oasis from that. And I used to stay late at school in the library or with a teacher doing homework just so I didn't have to go home. And now kids are now going to have more mental health issues long term because they're being exposed to their home life for longer term. And I think that's another thing that needs to be considered and I hope that teachers will take into account, um, not saying that they should sacrifice themselves in any way, but if you do remote learning, make sure that your students do have access to that technology, advocate for it within your your school district. And I don't know, it's it's tough to put the burden on, on teachers to be these, I don't know, um, what's the term in in government, we're a lobbyist, like be a lobbyist for your students, you know, and have to contact different uh, I, I resources. I think ultimately what's going to happen, it's kind of harder to imagine with younger students, but maybe like older kids in middle school plus high school, they're going to have to get together with the teachers and kind of really fight for having like like a fair and safe public health thing because it affects both of them, both the teachers yeah. and the students. and. I'm thinking, uh, depending on how it goes in New Jersey, uh, we might be seeing like a wave of, of teacher strikes 
soon enough. It depends on yeah. what administrations decide to do. If they actually do, you know, kind of go remote learning, then maybe that won't maybe that won't work. But even then, I don't know how sustainable it is. I've I've read some stuff about how some schools planned on like having kids come until Thanksgiving and then after Thanksgiving they were going to go remote which was just like a baffling <laughs> plan of, so like some administrators just seem to not understand what is going on even though we're all the way in August uh, right, August is almost over and it's just last <laughs> week of August and it's just I don't know it's upsetting to me because you know like you said everyone knows a teacher or people who work in education and just add on to what you said about school becoming a refuge for a lot of people like a sad amount kids get food from these schools like that's yeah. where they get most of their nutritional like daily intake and we need to have i know governor murphy did it set up before but hopefully the logistics are still there to continue kind of like a food distribution network and what are all your thoughts on this so i'm i i have i am and have been on team stay the fuck home and figure it out somehow right and i think that <laughs> and, I, and i think that so while I'm happy that all of these districts are now coming around to the inevitable conclusion that they're going to have to like chill at home for a while, I think that this is like the waterfall consequence of just general ineptitude at every level. Yes. I think that what pissed me off the most was, well, first of all, obviously lack of a federal response. I mean, we, we cannot yeah. that point. We can't hammer that point across enough, but at the state level, I think what irked me was, and this is this is you know in in tennis they call this an unforced error. Like this, this is a political unforced error, right? The administration said pretty much in effect they said get ready for your kids to go to school in the same buildings that we won't allow you to vote in, and that to yeah. me was wild in every way. And you know, worst of all, it kicked the football to school districts which you know, school districts coordinate with departments of health, but they are not stewards of public health. Yes, no, absolutely. These are, these are too decentralized and small and cellular to really independently be able to control any aspect of public health. So if you have one stubborn district in, you know, as a donut hole in the middle of what I would call more liberal or or team stay at home districts. I mean, there's a net zero effect at the end of the day. You're still spreading the virus. So, you know, again, I, I'm all for coordinated response. And I think that this whole virus thing, as much as it's it's hard and it's unexpected and unprecedented, and everyone reacts to it in different ways, and we've never had anything like it before, it it's it's a it's a learning experience for God knows there will be a next time for next time. Just we need to have our shit together from from minute one or otherwise it's going to be a catastrophe. Totally. Uh, America, America does not have its shit together. There's always going to be 25% of the country that thinks that America is the only country that's being truthful about its numbers and every other country is lying. <laughs> so we're still the best at that point. At, well, said, that's actually the among that 25% is apparently our president who says such absurdly illogical things like if we just counted less like coronavirus would be less of a problem because our numbers would go down which is like of course it would he's not wrong he's not wrong yeah if you don't count you then, then the numbers aren't there but it doesn't mean the virus goes away like that's not how it works Listen, i'm Mike, trying to Mike, i'm trying to pander to the <laughs> you're expanding your audience casey you're doing the right thing as a expand as a your media. mind guys <laughs> it's like 
I keep I, I think you brought up a good point. It does kind of seem like so uh, we've been absolutely dunking on the federal response consistently since the coronavirus started happening. Because I mean, you can't not. It, it's it's the reason why New Jersey is in such a terrible state. Because uh, I mean, just imagine if there was a federally coordinated response all the way back when New York was first really hit with some kind of with like quarantining the city or maybe the whole state and parts of New Jersey mixed in with like an actual people's bailout and things like that. Would we we'd probably be fine now? We know that because other countries who have done similar things, like say Japan or uh, Taiwan, China, and Korea, they all managed to handle this significantly better with less notice than we did. And it's just it's kind of like Trump and the Trump administration played this game, uh, which we know from Kushner saying the reason why they didn't want to do anything to, to blue states was because uh, or like new jersey and stuff was because they're blue states and they thought that it would just somehow the virus would just stay in democratic states and would look good for them later and so you have them just basically screwing it up and hoping that the governors get the blame and the governors obviously not having the resources to, of a national government just kind of passing it on to each local city town municipality all that kind of stuff and it's a disaster absolute disaster let me tell you if if i'm running for governor as a republican against murphy in 2021 my attack ad is he put your kids at risk and then wouldn't let you vote in the same room he confused you so he could raise your taxes while you weren't looking that's the attack ad so they're gonna have some splaining to do thankfully he is still at a, something like a 62 percent approval rating so I don't know that any attack ad would hurt him because he's doing a great job. But also, I think a lot of people in New Jersey know that the Republicans basically have no actual plan for coronavirus either. So that's the kind of the nice thing. They've, they've aligned themselves with like the, I'll have a better phrase for it, like the lunatic wing who thinks that wearing a mask is an infringement on, you know, uh, your, your freedom. So most people, at least in New Jersey, are at least realizing that, you know, I mean, we might be, people might be more lax now because they think it isn't a big deal, but uh, most people I've met just like walking about will just comply with the mask policy, even to an extent it's like ridiculous, like wearing masks in like an empty park, which you like don't need to do. But it's like, cool, I'd rather see the people do that than not wear masks. Listen, if you go if you go on the next door app in my neighborhood, people are furious about open air, non-mask wearers. But it's a fun read, you know? Yeah. To each their own. Listen, I, I, I think that like, Person to person, you'll have like all your individual insecurities that you can project onto like the politics of the day. But it's important just to point out that like the Republican organization writ large is now just overtly stating that they are an amorphous fascistic death cult. Yes, they, they they pass their platform that says we don't believe in anything. We'll do whatever Trump says. And oh, yeah, so we're definitely going to talk about that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, it's, it's, I want to. I want to compare. It's on the agenda. I'm gonna need another drink if we're gonna talk about their platform. Holy, yeah. it's it's openly fascistic. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure we talk about that uh, right after the headlines. We will dive right into that. <laughs> okay, so let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about the the new local elections been ordered. Uh, Casey, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So according to the New York Times. New local election ordered in New Jersey after mail-in voter fraud charges. So a judge ruled in the Patterson election that it was irreversibly tainted. And we talked about this on the pod, I think, when it happened, Mike. And, you know, I mean, it's Patterson, New Jersey. Everyone, I think, here knows that uh, it's not the most uh, buttoned-up place in New Jersey, especially with uh, 
with voting and elections and you know mob ties and New Jersey housewife mob ties. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget the meth. <laughs> Don't forget the meth. Um, so this is an article by Troy Clausen, and so basically it says in the days before New Jersey's third largest city, before they held the municipal elections in May entirely by mail, which I think this is kind of like a, a face case for New Jersey to see if it could happen, but, and this is what, you know, kicked off all the controversy around uh, vote, vote by mail ballots. Um, so basically postal workers became suspicious when they found hundreds of ballots bundled together. And this triggered an investigation, which led to charges of voter fraud against two elected leaders and resulted in nearly 20% of the ballots being rejected. And at the time when we reported on it, it was, there was also the inconsistency of signatures which threw out a lot of ballots. And so this all became national news because it prompted Trump to cite the case as an example of how yeah. mail-in voting can be corrupted and um, basically steal elections, even though election experts widely disagree with that. So on Wednesday, this Wednesday, New Jersey judge ruled that the election in Patterson, New Jersey had been irreversibly tainted and ordered a new special election to be held in November to settle the race for city uh, for the city council seat. So you find that interesting that he's basically saying he's using this example, Trump, I mean, of Patterson, New Jersey, to say why mail-in voting uh, is going to like rig the election while he is like basically opening openly trying to rig the election through uh, defunding um, and and put appointing his crony in charge of the post office and things like that. It's just to me, it's like. It's like projection. It's like constantly what the the GOP does all the time. Projecting and pivoting. And pivoting, yeah. <laughs> so I okay. So my my friend Scott, my friend Scott Salmon was actually the election attorney in this case who sued in order to to rectify this. And you, if you recognize that name, that's because he's also the guy who sued Kanye West and got and kicked him off the ballot in New Jersey. Nice. Nice. Uh, because of a ton of fake signatures, including, and I kid you not, Mickey Mouse. So what uh, you're saying? Did we talk? It, did Dave, we talk about that? We had a good laugh about that. We had a good laugh yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's say, a hero Dave, of the show. Dave, you're saying you know people. <laughs> I know a person, but my my point in mentioning that was was that the system does work, right? There there are avenues <laughs> to rectify this. So, like, real quick. I think we should we should visit you know the 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 school of how to vote by mail good and do other stuff good too right so only fill out your ballot unless you are legally tasked with filling out someone else's ballot which you can do for three people and no more and if you sign off on your ballot and the signature doesn't match the record as of the primary election and moving forward, you have 10 days. They're, they're supposed to contact you within 24 hours if your signature doesn't match. And from the point they contact you, you have 10 days to rectify uh, that signature and discrepancy. So like, it is really, really difficult to do voter fraud by mail. It is harder to do it by mail than it is in person. You have to see, steal someone's mail. You have to take the time to learn their signature. Then you have to mail it in and then in the event that your signature doesn't match, for example, the signature of like a dead person, then you have to rectify that. So it's like three separate felonies. You're facing $2 million. You're facing 15 years in jail. It's it's just ridiculous. So are you saying it's not worth it? Uh, I think that is what he's I'm, saying. I'm not a lawyer. I don't give legal advice, but I personally would not do voter fraud. What, well, I have a question. What happens if 
I mail in my ballot, then I die. I actually don't know. <laughs> Legally, they'd have to challenge your ballot. Okay. Okay. They'd have what if to... they do? What if they do? Then, then I guess it doesn't. They just get rid of my. It's, it's a valid vote. You're one. Yeah, you're. I mean, I'll, I think... I'll, well, I'll have to find. I'll dig research and figure this out. <laughs> update people later. Yeah, I don't know. What I do know is that what most likely happened in Patterson is something to do closer to electioneering, which is election fraud, which is sort of voter fraud on a broader scale, which has to do with how you collect vote by mail ballots, how you count vote by mail ballots, how you distribute them. You know, working in the state in 2017, there is a lot of regulation around how you turn in your ballot and you can't Bring in a bundle of ballots. A bundle of ballots is a very bad thing. If I see any of that, I run away <laughs> because there's just a whole bunch of lawsuits that are just bundled up in that pouch and you don't want to be anywhere near it. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, it's absolutely the case that it's easier to commit voter fraud in person from personal experience. Um, Having it's, committed voter fraud. Having committed. On the record, I've totally done that. No, the worst part is, is that like I vote by mail every year and my signature changed significantly because I started, I had to sign more things when I got older. And so it didn't match my signature and they contacted me immediately and I had to re-sign in my signature. I've went through the process that Dave has just described because they were like, eh, this is too neat of a signature. This doesn't look like you, Colin Malay. Like, why are you doing this? So yeah, I voted by mail every year since uh, 2016. I've, I've done that so also signatures are dumb and stupid and old and we should find a way to securely replace them as soon as humanly possible okay dave let's you know let's not brave new world this and make it bigger than it has to be blockchain it's easier to rig digital elections paper elections are great <laughs> exactly i agree paper always so um related to this there's a lot of vote by mail troubles that are happening right now in terms of trump kind of it kind of just always gets back to the top. So there's an NJ.com article written by Jonathan D. Salant. And it says, uh, the Trump campaign is suing New Jersey to stop Murphy's vote by mail order, calling it a, quote, brazen power grab. Accusing Governor Phil Murphy of a brazen power grab, President Donald Trump's re-election campaign has asked the federal judge to overturn the state's plan to send ballots to all 6.2 million registered voters this fall. The suit was filed by the U.S. District Court by the Trump campaign joined by the Republican National Committee and the New Jersey Republican State Committee. Among their lawyers is State Senator Michael Testa, Republican of Cumberland, and a frequent Murphy critic. Quote, in the state of New Jersey, where their universal vote-by-mail system has already resulted in fraud and disenfranchisement, Governor Murphy continues to remove safeguards against abuse, Trump campaign counsel Matt Morgan said. I feel like we don't even really need to say why that's bullshit, because we just did, but it's bullshit in case people were pleased that. <laughs> Well, um, I think the other thing, too, is that essentially sending it to these people is kind of overkill. The previous procedure of vote by mail is actually very comprehensive in New Jersey after they implemented new regulations in 2017, where if you vote by mail and you check a box, you just get a ballot. So I don't know if you've seen the stories where people are like, yeah, I just get ballots and I wasn't even supposed to get a ballot. So that just means there's fraud when actuality, they didn't read the form and checked a box yeah. that says they want forms for every other election. Well, the other thing it's is- It's literally the only reason that any board of election would send out and spend more money that they don't have or don't want to spend exactly. by sending out more mail. <laughs> I think they want people to vote by mail too, as a kind of 
way like people congregating in long lines at voting machines isn't good during a pandemic so i think that's like the other thing they're trying they're trying to encourage this do you think that's it trying to get out ahead oh no instead of like instead of, instead of like side and the public health side it makes more sense i think like what's yeah. what's annoying is that if you're going to argue against vote by mail the arguments are more towards you're making up your mind before something catastrophic happens, right? If I already put in my vote for a candidate and then they murder someone two days before election day, I'm like, I don't know if I really want a murderer, but I already, oh no. Like, you know, so, you know, hey, halfway decent argument. Uh, but they're not doing that. Trump's argument is voter fraud. This means there's much more likely for Democrats to keep winning because the more Democrats vote, the more they win. It's been shown every single election in the u.s <laughs> i mean across the, the president's board. word on it he actually said that he like That's openly true. said it uh, on tv not too long ago about like yeah. you know they say when democratic <laughs> I, I don't he didn't use the phrase turnout because he doesn't say yeah. speak like that but he was like you know if a lot of democrats vote then yeah. they're gonna win or I something mean, it was like baffling like why is he saying this if you can't should, win attack the system like that's the yeah. that's their plan it, it should also be stated that like you can vote early in person and that's you know that argument just doesn't doesn't just apply to vote by mail i think that arguments against vote by mail uh from from what i experience are a lot to do with like you know mailing it to dead people on the voter rolls and like voter id laws and like oh well and, and it goes back to voter id laws it's like, it's like a typical form of like republican voter suppression but right you know i if i was elected ever which hold on to your hats but the grand compromise that i would make with the republican party is you can have voter id laws if you commit to printing a voter id free of charge yeah. for every single registered voter uh regardless of whether or not they have a legal address because native american communities you know don't have legal addresses for example in north dakota that was a big thing because for example we we're fine with provisional licenses and for or, or rather uh, provisional uh, ballots and for provisional ballots you have to write down either your driver's license number or your, your mm -hmm. social number for it to get counted. So in a way, like we already have a form of like identification verifying at polling places, right? So like now it's just a matter of, okay, does this actually disenfranchise voters? And the way in which Republicans typically want to do it is go to the DMV and get a voter ID card. And it's like, okay, well, first of all, like, okay, uh, have I been redlined out of a bus route that goes to the DMV? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, do I have a legal voting address? Are they going to charge me like $36 to get that card? And like all of those questions, you know, end up being, you know, constitutionality cases. So we could solve this whole dilemma tomorrow if the two parties came together and compromised on this stuff, which is but like, I, I think what, you can kind of see, see what's a com compromise. I think this is, this is a word that's kind of alien to me in the current political climate. Uh, can you define it? Yeah, it's a, it's French for civil war. Ah, got it. Got it. It's now I understand. Of, it's kind of it shows you how the GOP often argues in bad faith, though. I mean, the famous example is is their entire policy on gun control, which, uh, like their hero Ronald Reagan, when he was governor of California, the Black Panthers did their famous march onto the state house capitol there with the guns, and then the NRA plus Reagan uh, through the NRA lobbying pushed a gun control bill, like actually California's first comprehensive gun control bill. So it's like a lot of this stuff isn't because they have an ideological difference. It's 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 just opportunism. At least that's what I think. I yeah. think it's it's clear. I mean, it's it's like anything else. It's easier to couch opportunism in idealism, right? And then yeah. you just don't talk about the times you didn't follow your ideals. And this goes for 
I hate to be the guy that says this goes both ways, but we see it with the you know neoconservative wing of the uh, Democratic Party, right? Oh, We're certainly, talking certainly. a lot about yeah. that in social systems and programs, but I would be remiss to say if there haven't been, I mean, come on, NAFTA. It's like destroying the back of the Democratic or Party TBT, since 1992. Which is what they wanted to do. And the only reason why Trump threw it out was because Obama did it. That's pretty much, it's constant, it's crazy. Yeah. But yep. related to this, there's New Jersey's also in the news again for the vote by mail stuff because New Jersey is actually suing the U.S. Postal Service. This is an article from NorthJersey.com. New Jersey Attorney General, anyone want to help me out here? Oh, Gerbier, Gerbier Graywall, is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Wow. Wow, that was amazing. First, first time, first, first time first, for the pod. Yeah, and yeah. first Seek Attorney General in America. And fun yeah. fact, I, I believe he was at one point, he was a Christie appointee, was he not? And then Murphy carried no, him. I don't believe so. He has some ties to like a previous Republican administration. He's like, he's definitely are like- you, Wait, maybe you are right. I, I, I'd i have to look it up. I, I, I'm pretty sure he was a Murphy appointee because Murphy was touting him and right. he wouldn't do that in a campaign trail if it was- or yeah, like anyway, it was listen, like his long whatever. story short, the guy's the shit and just like the paragon of of justice. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're both right. So I just looked it up according to you know the bastion of all knowledge Wikipedia. New Jersey Governor uh Chris Christie nominated I say Graywall? Graywall? Graywall. Graywall to lead the uh, Bergen County Prosecutor's Office in 2013. That's what it was. It was the but prosecutor's office. He never he bumped actually, him to attorney general. Yeah, yeah but That's he never actually ended up getting scheduled by the NJ Senate for a confirmation hearing. And then he bumped him up. That's Sketch. Exactly what happened. No, so he never became Bergen County. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. interesting. Okay, yeah. I didn't realize it was that way. Huh. So Christie right. appointed him in the Bergen County, not putting up a Sikh uh, person. Who would have yeah. thought? Who would have thought that was? Okay, so County. what's basically happening is he's decided to join a host of Democratic attorney generals in suing the United States Postal Service over cuts that they say could jeopardize mail-in voting ballot during the fall's election. Uh, this was first announced in a afternoon tweet, uh, and he later said in a statement that New Jersey is suing, quote, to stop political interference in an apolitical institution. We must act quickly to protect the integrity of the upcoming election and halt the sudden and sweeping operational changes made by the U.S. Postal Service. Voting by mail is safe, secure, and reliable. We tend to keep it that way. So I thought that was interesting. Looks like New Jersey's joining the other states uh, and trying to stop this from happening, at least the Democratic ones. Anyone got a comment? Ah, oh, we can move on. I mean, That's it's just good awesome. news, yeah. Yeah, it's fucking great. Let's fucking we'll go. Just, yeah, okay. That's like so, a hooray moment. All right. So the, the Postal Service has been getting fucked six ways to Sunday for the last 15 years. So for any listeners who have never heard of the incredibly obscure law known as the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act. So in 2006, there was a law passed under House Speaker Dennis Hastert that became law. So pretty much it made the Postal Service the only federal division that is required to have enough cash on hand yeah. to pay its pension debt 75 years into the future. Most so, for like, like, most for like 30 something, I think. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah just Let's like, just to give it a, like a relative of how ridiculous this is. Decades. So, like, yeah. ask yourselves if you or anyone that you know or love or any business that you know, has enough cash to pay its debt 75 years into the future. Also, okay. it's important to remember too, maybe you could talk about this if you know it, but basically I think it was George Bush too. They like wanted to get rid of the post, post office and privatize it. So they did this like study to try to figure out 
if it was like how in debt it was. And then they found out actually it was enormously profitable. It was something like $80 billion they were ma- like basically making. So they then decided, well, they basically, that's part of their plan to basically make it an unprofitable institution. They did that. They also required it to basically fund parts of like the military budget and a bunch of other random things that makes no sense that they basically can't tap into. It is, it's actually wild the amount of, um, basically pilfering of the resources of the of the post office that, that has occurred. Yeah, so, like, long story short, for, like, the past 15 years, the Postal Service has gotten, like, dead-legged on the steps of the Vatican, right? Like, it... Wow, that's... that's what an image! That's a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, like, so, okay, so all of that happened, right? And then when coronavirus came around, they were like, oh, all of a sudden, we don't have this obscene amount of money that you need us to somehow have, like, arbitrarily. And they asked Mnuchin for a loan, for for an interest-free, like, grant. And Mnuchin was like, you can have a high-interest loan if you want. And and so that is what, like, that's what set off the current war over the state of the post Because they're held to unrealistic expectations. They're not allowed to do, like, if you go to Staples and stuff, or, like, other places to get, like FedEx to go mail stuff. You know, they have all these other services too, like that can they help you. They're federally prohibited from providing those services because places like Staples, FedEx, and all those other ones lobbied and didn't want to have a competitor because the post office can do it cheaper and better. They really Just can. To, As someone who mails yeah. stuff quite a bit. They're the best. The, the post office is so sick. It's yeah. like it's like cheating. Like you're like, wait, I can send this across the country for like a dollar, and they're like, yep, it's, here you go. It's one of the things I liked about Bernie's program too, because he wanted to turn them into like little people's banks, basically community banks, which was a great way to actually help spread uh, credit and wealth into places all over the country. And um, yeah, I mean, we don't need to be lament about that too much, but uh, um, it's too late, it's just, Bernie. It's, 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 the, that yacht has sailed. Yeah, no, no, he's full. Um, <laughs> He's just disappointing. But all right, let's move. Let's move on. If we have no more comments, anyone to comment? All Shit, right. shit's bad. Save the postal okay. service. No. In our most important news of the night, a teens broke into a New Jersey petting zoo. <laughs> I'll read it. Wait, did um, they go? Did they go hog wild in the petting zoo? Oh God, the puns. Let's get. Let's oh drink, man. Let's every pun. That Colin, they you should be doing the clickbait articles. Yeah, no, Colin, yeah, come on, that was bad. Like I, I would not have gotten hired with that pitch. <laughs> Dave would not have hired me or posted said tweet. I might have. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So according to Katie Kausch of NJ.com, the teens broke into the Jersey petting zoo and posted photos online. A group of teens broke into the Wyckoff farm Saturday night, letting animals loose and posting photos of themselves sitting on donkeys, police say. The teens, who have yet to be identified, broke into the petting zoo area of Abma's farm at about 10 p.m., police said. Photos posted on Snapchat and tagged with the farm's location show a young woman riding one of the donkeys, which the farm said was not capable of safely handling, handling her weight. Ah, oh, animal abuse. We can't laugh, laugh at that. <laughs> also, what we can laugh at, though, is that these teens were using Snapchat and not TikTok, which means yeah, they're not that? cool. They're yeah. the times, and they need to do the... Yeah, how old are right. some boomer teens. Or yeah. maybe they were young Republican teens that don't support China's spying on... Wait a second. Uh, what was animals. the name of the farm again? Abma, Abma's farm. A-B-S. Dave's like, I was there yesterday. 
Yeah, Yeti Ben is a good one. For some reason, I thought you said White Claw Farm, and I was about to be like, well, there's your problem. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were like, it's the mother load. <laughs> so apparently, um, uh, several animals es- escaped after the group left the gates open, but were found Sunday morning. The farm Did that's where the, the emu came from? Oh, are these stories related? Where was the emu? Do we remember? I don't remember. I'll have to go back and listen to our episode. Uh, <laughs> last week, an emu escaped and was like running through. Was it Patterson? It was a Patterson emu, wasn't it? It could have been. <laughs> yeah. It was so definitely yeah, so like that, a... Someone said they were just sitting in traffic or something and an emu just like ran by. Yeah, but there's something, something I want to stroke that conspiracy out of uh, teens releasing animals during... Because like, what else are you going to do? Like, when I was a teen, I didn't have a pandemic and isolation. I, if there was a petting zoo near me, I would have gone there. I might have released some animals. I didn't realize my co-host was a criminal. <laughs> By the way, this Can is a uh, surprise. Strike this from the record. Can I, mean, I like, the never? Board Americans have been tipping for generations. Like, this isn't a, a new phenomenon. Oh, no. Totally. Yeah. That's how little Anyone. news is going uh, on yeah. besides coronavirus. <laughs> They're just trying to report stuff like this. They're just like grasping for anything. All right. Well, that's it for our headlines. Um, we're going to now dive right into a discussion with uh, Dave Filmenstein and Colin Malay, our guests today. They provide yeah. a great commentary so far on the headlines. But let's talk about, I guess, a little bigger things. Let's start with the DNC and then we'll go to the RNC because it's good. Like, <laughs> okay. Hold, which hold one on. Which? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do we want to talk about New Jersey primaries really quick before we go into that? I'm not really sure what that is. Talk. I mean, <laughs> we, we when we covered it, it was like every Nothing. incumbent one. Yeah, so it was just like a. Yeah, it was exactly what. I, so I mean, you... the one thing I will say about that is like, this climate um, makes it almost impossible for challengers to win in a primary, like because of campaigning is seen as so I don't know, just not cool <laughs> with the way COVID is. Like, it's just very yeah. difficult to run as a challenger in this yeah. environment. And if you're an incumbent, you're like, this is what I'm doing every day to protect you from the, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you don't really have much street cred. And uh, you can't go to the places to meet the people or do the thing or run a field program. Like you'd have to do it all digital and you, which isn't normally the problem if you as a candidate are getting FaceTime, but the candidate's not really literally getting FaceTime anywhere right. because mm-hmm. of the way things are set up. So it's tough. It's what I argued tough. before on here was that because we covered, um, it took like a couple weeks for the actual primary data to come out because of the mail-in voting stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it was just, they were obliterated. I mean, it was like, I think the closest race was something like the person, the incumbent won by like 75. It was like 75 to 20 something. It was just, my, my thought was that even if COVID wasn't here, there was ideal conditions to go out. Like, And it was just perfect weather every single day. I don't think that gap would have narrowed that enough to make it a, a competitive race. I'm not I sure. Don't know. What are your thoughts? I don't know. I don't necessarily think anybody would have won over it, but I think the gaps close way tighter when people have the luxury to care about a primary. There was no luxury in this climate for anybody to care about a primary. No. So you just have base voters, and base voters are going to vote. Well, that said, there was record turnout for the primary this year. Yeah, so yeah. I... You know, it's interesting because, like, we say, we say, and, and we say factually that Democrats always win when turnout is higher. But it's not necessarily the case that progressive Democrats win when turnout is higher, which I very much, very much not the case, actually. In fact, yeah. it's often not because that 
Okay, that is trickier. There is no, we don't have enough data to say for sure because that differs depending on the area, right? I mean, we've seen it in uh, statewides where, uh, honestly, I mean, you know, when you're looking at, you know, the places where most progressives win, it's it's in areas that are not actually urban, right? Urban, you know, constituencies actually vote closer to moderate because of the higher tax burden, right? They do push closer to moderate, while as people in suburban communities and actually like sort of that middle suburban rural, like outlying, you know, urban centers can push more progressive because they have the luxury to, you know, offense, but you they're ed- very well educated and like, you know, can, you know, uh, vote on ideals instead of like, hey, I need to feed my kids, right? Like, you know, that's sort of that kind of idea. So I don't know. But uh, that being said, I don't know if I could, you know, say definitively one way or the other. I just find it interesting because I, I, you know, people have come to me asking like, oh, should I run? Should I run against this person? Should I do this? You know, asking my advice. And you tell them this is the worst year to try to do This is literally the worst year to do it. Your job should be helping them out and getting more political capital. Like that's what your job should be. Wait, like you absolutely can't. There are some situations where I would suggest to run where a run would be conducive, the the fastest way to build capital and name recognition, where it's not a toxic community to run in. There are some communities where if you run and you oppose and you make somebody have to go into a contested election, you're blackballed if you don't get it cleared or you don't like talk it through with the right people, because that's a lot more money that somebody has to raise and spend and time. And that's an easy way to make not friends very quickly. Make not friends is not the best use of words there, but you guys got what I was trying to say. I know what you're saying. I mean, New Jersey's a, New Jersey's a high tax state. So like wealthier people tend to live here. Like I know that I live in, I live in, in the seventh, right. Which is, Mm-hmm. America's fifth wealthiest congressional district, which is insane, right? And I know full well that, like, being like a New Deal Democrat, I am of the vast minority opinion out of my neighbors. My neighbors are, for the most part, statistically rich liberals, and and Romney Romney Republicans. So they, you know, they benefit, and you know. This is this is a a, a criticism uh, uh, in the form of I didn't ask to you know be here, but they there's an argument that they benefit from things as as Biden puts it not fundamentally changing right. So it's like you know the the biggest thing they have to worry about right now in terms of their fiscal health is you know Trump's elimination of the salt deduction, which if I don't know if you guys have talked about on the show before, but essentially. It used to be the case that you would pay your property taxes and then you would write that amount of money off on your federal income t- statement so you don't get double taxed. Trump said that amount is no longer unlimited. We're capping it at 10000 So New Jersey residents are now getting taxed, double tax on any of their property tax payments that are over $10,000. That's like the big issue. I remember we, cut, we did we go over it. taxes, so... Well, we talked about it, I think, because I remember my first time on because Gottheimer made a big deal about the salt deduction. So I remember having a pretty like the same exact breakdown. I think what's what's even more important about that is that is like anything else strategically done. It's like, well, are my base is not in the places where this is going to hit. And it's like so I can get tax money from not my base like that is sort of the play there. And like Dave very accurately put it's the only thing you're going to care about when you're in that level of tax bracket. Like when you're up there, like the, the other concerns are just not in your reality. Right. Let's talk about things not fundamentally changing. So uh, 
we have the DNC and the RNC. They've both happened. Or is the RNC still going on? Yeah, it's still going yeah. on. Night one was yesterday. Right. Okay, right, right. It just started. That's right. <laughs> Whew, okay. The DNC was cringy to watch. I watched uh, some of it, and I just couldn't bear watching most of it because it's just kind of like, how I put this? It's like a... It's like the most boring spectacle that, that, that you could possibly watch. They needed it, it, some more it's... pyrotechnics. I think that would have, <laughs> yeah. you know, commanded more attention. <laughs> what it, what have, uh, Dave, do you want to start? What What is your take on how the DNC yeah, went? So the, the DNC surprised me in, in two main ways. Number one, uh, you know, this positive surprise was that I was way more enamored with Joe Biden after he he delivered his speech. Um I, I I had this like chemical reaction in my brain where I was like, holy shit, I remember all of a sudden what it's like when the country like understands up from down. Like it it harkened back to like a sense of like deep actual decency. And although Joe Biden and I could not be more ideologically further apart, it it's it it got me in like the dopamine receptors and I was like, oh my God, this feels nice. But on the flip side of that, I think that if there was one way to somehow attempt to dismantle the impression of Democrats being coastal liberal elites, you know, carting out Julia Louis-Dreyfus to do like a scripted set of like non-jokes was not the way to do it. And I love her for the record, but like you could see all of those like virtual segments that they like wanted to pretend were live. And this is just from like a, like a media analysis standpoint, all those virtual segments were clearly like very scripted. They tried to make yeah. them like organic, like zoom conversations. And it, it, it didn't land authentically. And that would I think, be my main criticism. I think I saw that the ratings were extremely low. Like a lot of people, they were actually so they're yeah. higher. The night one of the DNC was higher than night one of the RNC by approximately the amount of people that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by, which is yeah, that's interesting. Is a is a that wide margin? Uh, it's as much lower than 2016 because 2016 was historic, right? It's the first female, right. you know, front running, like literally. This was the front runner. People were tuning in because they thought they they were under the impression that Hillary would win, and it would be you know. You know, first time in you know over two centuries that we have a leader versus the second allegedly pedophile nominee. Yeah, fair, very true, true. <laughs> what was that thing you were saying, Mike? It's the always has been, <laughs> always. <laughs> so, um, oh god, that's I, I'm convinced no one's actually excited about Biden. That the the best argument for him is that he's just not Trump, and I feel like that's the majority of. Democrats now, like, no one's really excited to vote for, for Joe Biden. I mean, he's never actually won, like, really much on the presidential stage until now, which he was basically defaulted in because everyone else dropped out strategically because Obama made a phone call before Super Tuesday. So just, like, do you think that, like, do, do you see, like, I, I don't know, the enthusiasm that they're trying to create for Biden, to me, just conf right now with the DNC, or it just ended, but what they, what they did during the, with the DNC kind of conflicts with the fact that he's been very much absent during the past few months in terms of like having basically no leadership on the COVID crisis and no leadership on the Great Depression that we're currently in. Do you, uh, like Colin, do you want to start? What Do, do you think, like, like, is this accurate? Like, wh how do you feel about like, isn't this going to hurt him against That's Trump? A good, I mean, it's a good, you know, starting point. I think that, you know, obviously like one of the main adages is, is people vote for not, to vote against someone, they need to vote for someone, right? They need a reason to vote for a candidate. The problem is, is that when you're looking at any of the 
analysis of anything going on in any of these elections, the same goes for polls. This is furthest from anything that a model would text for. So when people are using models that work off other elections that happen, they're flawed ultimately. Like, yeah, they can kind of adjust it for what's happening. But any poll that has Biden up, immediately I'm like... like it, Speaking it, of polls, yeah. Did I you just see can't, Nate I, no, Silver? No, I have not did seen it. did it again. Specifically. All right. I'm so if all of you don't know, Nate no, stop. Silver... You're giving them credence. It's going to make them <laughs> um, Nate Stop Sil- speaking about Nate polls. Nate Silver said in 2016, I forget what it was. It was like a 73% chance that Hillary had to win and a 30% whatever for, oh, for Trump. And I hate that because, like, first of all, like, yeah. like, well, actually, I predicted it because I said it was 30%. No, dude, you either pick, predict that someone wins or loses. I can't go and, you know, uh, bet on, like, a horse race and say, like, well, actually, the odds said I, I, I knew they could, that they would lose, so I should win. And then um, the other thing is, like, I thought he would have learned his lesson after being ridiculed so much from 2016. And he actually, no joke, tweeted out that he did the math again, and Biden has a 70-something percent chance to win against Trump. It's almost like within a fraction of a percent, the same as if Hillary Clinton. This was something talked about a lot on Pods of America and a lot of, like, the liberal-leaning, you know, podcasts and news outlets of people were, they figured, were ashamed to say that they voted Trump or that they would vote Trump. And I'm very, very hesitant to say... You know, that because Hillary had, you know, the vision, like she would be the first female president. She was, you know, everyone was backing her. Every feminist icon was trashing on Bernie supporters, even people that just happened to be Bernie supporters and they were Democrats and they were going to vote blue anyway. Like they insulted half of their, their voting base and then Trump won. And I think... There needs to be passion to vote. And as, as Colin said, you know, people need someone that they need that they need to go out and vote for in order to get that vote cast. And right now, do I think Biden's that? No. Do I think Trump's that? No. Do I think people will just vote just to vote? I guess that's what happens. I think, I think Trump's <laughs> base is, uh, I don't have the numbers on me, but what I, what I read was his base, his base is definitely more enthusiastic than, than yes. the Dems base. But the question is, how much is his, is his base dwindling because basically the COVID response has been horrible, and we're, we're, it's a it's a great but, depression right now. But, but you were yeah. you are thinking yeah. that these people would think logically, right? That's the thing. I, 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 that's why I'm also <laughs> like I I'm not convinced that he hasn't crafted a pretty decent narrative for himself. Yeah. Obviously, I don't agree with it. I mentioned it on here before, but his essential narrative is that uh, China basically sabotaged the United States with COVID. And everything that's wrong with the United States, including the economy right now, is back to China. And he's trying to loop that in with with Biden. And Biden's entire electoral strategy, at least from the ads right now, seems to actually play into the narrative because he's running to the right of Trump on China, or at least trying to, which I think never works when Democrats do that. Dave, what do you think? And then, Chalin, you can jump in. So, number one, I would say that it's okay to disregard Nate Silver because Nate Silver at this point only makes polls to in order for Matt Iglesias to reach climax. You're right. <laughs> and and so like fine. Like fine. They're gonna do their thing. They're gonna make their their medium bucks off of it. That's that's great. 
Um, I, I think we're we're missing one kind of like political realignment factor here, which is uh, I think that the same moderate contingent who endorses Biden the most loudly and is also most likely to switch from a pub Republican to Democrat is representative of the political majority of America who is disengaged and or does not vote. And that segment of people is fucking exhausted from four years of thinking that every sentence is a, a mini like skirmish war thing with like their friends and their family. And, you know, this is actually like, if anything, this is a, an accidental selling point in that like right now, America, what America needs more than anything is like an overdose of Xanax and that Xanax's name is Joe Biden for better or worse. I really do think that like I, I, I'm sick and tired of arguing with my friends and family about this shit. My parents are Trump supporters. I really get tired of it with them. And people who are like non-political and have never cared are really, really pissed off that everybody's yelling at them about who to care about. What do and you think? Do you think realistically Biden's going to change that? Because here's what here's my worry is Biden's coming in and this is an enormous task he has to deal with which is COVID that is virtually unmanageable and he'll have to deal with the second wave that's inevitable with a high, a really bad flu season. And in addition, a Great Depression that requires FDR-like spending on a scale that we've almost never seen before. However, with a ruling class of both Democrats and Republicans who are absolutely against doing that. So my, my thought is, I, I, I mean, I don't want to get too much into it, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that they even really want Biden to win, like they or care that he wins or not, because it's like it'd be so hard for him to actually have a successful presidency. But putting that aside, if he comes in, he, I don't think he's going to have the ability to actually address a lot of these things because ideologically they're not going to go like the social democrat route like FDR did. Well, so here's the thing: what do you is think, Colin? What, yeah. what a lot of people were really positive on, and I think Trump has failed to sell this enough, is that the expansion to unemployment. He should have gotten behind that shit because oh, totally. there is nothing people like more. Like he kind of started it with the Trump check, but then didn't put his money where his mouth was. Like imagine if he had branded the unemployment uh, increase as like Trump bucks or something fucking stupid. But then it's like Trump's putting money in your pocket. I honestly thought that's what he was going to do when, it, Same when here. he started doing I it. Was I was like, like, this, I was is like a, this is this is actually genius. McConnell yeah, a, would never let him. Yep. Right. That's, and that's exactly. and that and I think is a huge failing. I, at one point, I did want to come back to when we were talking about I think that the one thing that people aren't taking into account in this election. Well, OK, that is too hyperbolic to say. I think that a often overlooked point and I Dave, I really like the point you brought up. I think people want a boring president. I think people are done talking about the presidency. People want to focus on other things. I think that they're a boring president. Yeah. yeah, liberals do want to. <laughs> they absolutely do because, despite all of you know my votes to the contrary, people were like, my my mom shocked me because I was very much Warren. I was like Warren was hitting all of my things, and my mom was like, I don't. It, she like looked me dead in the eyes as someone who is like a teacher, a woman. She's like, I don't care. I will do anything to get him out of office and biden has the best chance of winning i was like whoa <laughs> i was like whoa. let's speak about biden's hands uh, and that's winning. like but that's the thing they don't do like, you actually the, think the, they it doesn't matter if what i think 
Right. It matters it's what, what the, that the, electorate, that 40 plus. It's that narrative. That's been crafted. The narrative that has been crafted. If people are buying because they, they're done. And I think but, but right. you guys are speaking very much in the lines of RNC, DNC, but the, the largest voting block is independent voters. So how are you appealing in either party to the biggest opportunity to win? That's a great point that I really want to address because it's something that I get mom, she's a She's a Democrat. She's a teacher. Correct. She, you know, through and through, her vote, done. Yeah. You know, <laughs> no, how do you get point. the independence? This is the thing, though, is that actually the most untapped voting block is non-voting party members. Because independent voters, it has been shown time and time again, barring very, very strange outcomes, that getting new people who don't vote or have a culture of voting to vote is almost impossible. Bernie, like, had, dis- that, Bernie had that issue during the, yeah. the primary yeah, no, and who would support his ideas and then be like, oh, shit, November happened? Like, or like, or the primary happened? It's, you can spend 10x what you spend to turn out people from the party on non-voters or what in the voting block we like to call is new voters, not non-voters. And you will just not see anywhere near a percentage of returns you see on turning out low turnout party members. And this is something I've seen time and time again, like in the field, like working with this. And it's a shame, right? Like you would think, Casey, if you're looking at it from like a math problem sense, that like if you look at this huge piece of the pie, you're like, well, why isn't anyone talking to these people? And it's because they just – that messaging – and, you know, Dave, maybe you have something better to say about this on a local level because you might have seen more success. But a lot of times the traditional political messaging of vote for a candidate or talking about politics, whether it's a civics education, whether it's a lack of understanding of what they do, it just doesn't land, right? It just really doesn't land with this massive voting block that is apathetic. That is the thing I was saying. I remember I I brought it up with you guys before is that apathy is the greatest – problem that faces my profession of like how do you get people to vote and apathy is the biggest reason people don't vote what do you think dave about the comments Colin just so said? yeah so you've underscored probably like the, the, the most important contemporary like problem in uh, electoralism which is how can i force someone to fucking care and you that is a, a very steep uphill climb in which you have to combat the standard thought process of government is bloated and useless, which is why the standard political messaging of ideology does not work on, what is it, you know, 65% of the country. This is just, this is, it's all ideological. I was working a local council race in Linden that had 70 plus percent turnout for a ward level primary. And it is because all of the messaging was, I'm not going to say the word Democrat. Here's all the shit that I did for you, right? In the words of Jerry Maguire, show me the money. That's all people want. That's but all that's, people want. That's kind of fair, though. There's been decades of people saying they're going to come in, change uh, your community, uh, help you out. They do the slogans, but they don't have anything to back it up, or they don't have the record, yeah. or they get they elect them in, then nothing happens. And listen, I hate- for, for better or worse, if if the if the ideological warfare is going to be waged on you know fringe issues like you know appeasing a certain demographic or lowering the taxes of very of a very small sliver of society, you know th- th- those are you know 
in, in the purest terms, those are virtue signals, but they are ineffective virtue signals because they hit the earlobes of, of, a, of a very finite and small amount of people. And that's just not the way to do things. What so. about what about the the highest virtue signal out there that could be done in New Jersey's November election, which is the legalization of marijuana on the ballot? Yeah. And how that could increase voter turnout for New Jersey in November. In my opinion, this was a happy, either a happy accident or deliberate where uh, the, the state Senate couldn't get the votes on weed. So they were like, oh, we'll just put it on as a referendum for 2020. And then all of a sudden people will vote Dem because weed is great. Um, you know, true, I, true. Yeah. I, I am not in the same building as the room where those decisions get made. So I really have no idea. But, you know. I just, you know, whether or not it's 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 deliberate or a happy accident, I think that, yeah, for the Democrats to at a federal level be waffling on on pot is is absolutely ridiculous. I, they, that conflicts the New Jersey's ballot conflicts with the two candidates, both who against yep. or are against legalization of marijuana. Yeah. If if you want to get the largest third party contingent, which is a bunch of black pill libertarians, like come out loud for pot and they will vote for Joe Biden. Like it's it's really that simple. All I have to do is say, I, I hate cops, legalize weed, and you get, like, every libertarian, like, classic libertarian vote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're not going to get the I hate cops with the nomination of Kamala. I, I didn't want to bring it up not. before, but, like, that is, is that one thing where I'm, like— The Kamala I'm, of it all. I'm Nice. <laughs> I, I didn't want to, like, because obviously, like, when you compare her to Pence, it's, like, not even close. I mean, because Pence is literally, like, some form of, like, low-level vampire in a D&D &D game. Like, he wouldn't even have a stat block. But... Yeah. <laughs> Your nerd is showing, Colin. Oh. Just a little... <laughs> Guys, it's 9 o'clock. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> that, means, that means he's evil for all the non-learners. <laughs> <laughs> the point being is that, like, very much not my favorite nomination, but... I understand why he did it. And, and and I actually like to get back to my, because I don't even think I answered your question, is do do I think that he, Biden, uh, who I'm referring to, like people will be uh, excited to go out for him. I think that because of the extremely unique and just unprecedented nature of this election, that the vote against function is at a much higher rate than we've ever seen it. Like, I cannot yeah. understate that Trump is literally the most popular figure in media, not in American media, not in world media. Like, literally more things have been talked about because of the nature of what me like what's happening right now than like, I mean, this is this is, you know, blasphemous, but literally Jesus Christ himself. Like there have been more topics about Trump, think pieces about Trump, people talking about Trump, their reactions to Trump, the the cultural implications of Trump. So the thing that we're fighting against isn't so much the the politician, but the name recognition. And that's really tough to fight against because it'd be impossible to ask somebody if they don't know who Donald Trump is. Certainly. There's one thing that Trump is really, really good at that I think Democrats continually fail to understand, and that's his ability to control the media in terms of like crafting a narrative. He's um, he's funny. He's funny on Twitter, and that's, that's good for people. Like he's able to make things go viral and stuff like that. So I want to kind of talk just a little bit about that because we're running out of time. So real quick, do you, does everyone here, do we think that there's going to be debates between Trump and Biden? I was just thinking that. That's, Good question. I don't Biden's know if Biden's going to get wrecked in a, I, in a 
Biden can't go That's, off script. He can't. <laughs> I don't think if I was if I was consulting Biden, there is a zero percent chance I put him on the stage with Trump. You fight the the picture of the man, and you just say, "No, I'm not. I'm not doing it. He's not worth." What my do you? What is? What is he? And do I, you think? I pitch it as I pitch it as he's not worth my time as much as I can because the second you do it, it's going to be your label as a coward. That's right? going to be some weak. <laughs> Yeah, he's going to be labeled as a coward, but I can't. I think you can't do it. We saw what happened to Hillary, and Hillary destroyed him, and it didn't matter because Trump has no shame. He can't lose. He's physically incapable. He chased her on that stage. You mean on policy? She she destroyed him, but no, I mean she destroyed him in every sense of a debate, and it didn't matter because Trump doesn't concede and he doesn't have shame, so it looks like he wins. That's I would say it's winning. You're playing to an audience, but I hear what you're saying. I think this is so, true. So you, you think Dave? you take the L there? That's I'm sorry, Dave. I'm cutting you off. <laughs> that's cool. I, so I think there, I, I think there will be one debate, uh, and I think that uh, so for sure there will be one debate, and I think that the success or failure of that debate, and whether or not there are subsequent debates, depends on one factor, and that factor is whether or not the moderator has the ability to mute someone's mic when it's not their turn. Ooh. If okay. if if we have a moderator like a Chris Wallace who is not afraid to do that, if we have a moderator like oh god, any fucking liberal who is not afraid to do that, I think that perhaps we get to a place where there's equal time and you can't just look better by by whining and calling everything bullshit. Do I think it's not a good true? Idea? Not true. Right. Not gonna happen. Right. Yeah. Do I think Thanks it's news. a good idea for that debate to happen? I absolutely do. I this is the way we we are supposed to hash things out. And frankly, if the debates fail, I think think that it says something a lot deeper about um, how fragile this country actually is and and what might happen on November 4th. Real quick, last part. So we dunked a lot on the DNC. I think it's fair enough to start dunking a little bit on the RNC. How about so, a lot of bit? How what? about we talk about their non... They didn't put anything down! I was just going to say the platform. Their platform is just worship Donald Trump, which is... It's insane. It's fascistic. Um, it's not fascistic. It's fascist. Yeah, you're right. They should just say it. It's fascist. Yeah, we have it's to fascist. say it. It's, it's I'm fascist. tired of us speaking around it. He, they've literally said we don't have a plan. We're following the great leader. It's it's fascist. In, it's 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 expected but insane. Dave, what do you think? Is it fair to call it fascist? Uh, um, so obviously yes, but it's it's they're fascists who like didn't expect to be able to do so many fascist things. So they're kind of just like still digging around and trying to figure out like what they can get away with so like they're still in like they're still in like fascism high school right so like that is really good analogy holy shit oh my god the speaker lineup is telling where like they don't have Stephen miller speaking at the rnc quite yet because he'll literally just say like i am i am i'm here to sell all the minorities out right they're not there yet instead they have like the guy, the, the the kid from Standing Rock, who oh grinned my god, way, who grinned the wrong way, and now they're like marching him out. To and do the it. the two people that yeah. held the guns, is that true? Are they actually having them? The two people from the uh, oh, Black yeah, Lives Matter that yeah, came out of our house to the saviors of private property. Yeah, gun couple is happening. It's like all of the like I'm had Diamond and Silk not gotten canceled, it would have been that, and it would have just <laughs> CPAC all over again. It's it's. It's it's bad. Uh, it's Bush League fascism. 
So I'm worried about the future. Go ahead, the hilarious part is... No, the hilarious part is that they're calling Joe Biden a socialist, which, like... (laughs) Yeah, like, I wish. Oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) I wish the Biden that existed in their mind existed in reality. ...of anyone making under, what, $400,000? Like that, yeah. So, wow, yeah, the RNC. (laughs) Like, just when you think the DNC is bad enough, the RNC comes around and just shows you, like, actually the state of the country is worse than you think. I will will end by saying one thing. I can, we can dunk on the DNC because we ultimately are not affected by the outcome of this election. I can't, I can't stress this enough. I say this every time I'm in a group of folks who are, you know, we're all white. We all come from a little bit of privilege, maybe some more than others. But, like, the idea being that we have the privilege of saying we can dunk on the DNC when in fact, like the people who are actually going to face the effects of this bullshit don't have that privilege. Well, the thing but. is I like dunking <laughs> on the DNC because the RNC is so easy, right? So like the DNC is like, at least by criticizing them, I'm hoping enough people will want to push them in the direction that I want them to go into. That's Whereas the RNC, there is no chance that the RNC ever like becoming something like a workers party or any of that like i doubt the ability to dnc could you imagine the turnaround of the century suddenly perino's putting in his republican card it's like oh they did it wild (laughs) realignment similar to like from the ancient republicans to you know hey man reformation if this is truly a civil war era thing if this is thing we have another party realignment so So for for michael like between you and i i think probably like the dnc versus rnc dynamic is like like, well, it looks like the Rockefellers versus the Pinkerton cops, but you know, just just to remind everyone that there, yes, oh my God, there is such a tangible outcome to all of this. Everything is going to shit. Third terms are about to happen. Like immigration status, like the Lautenberg Amendment that like wars with China, mm-hmm. yeah. a bunch of frightening things. The Lautenberg Amendment that allowed my parents to like seek asylum in this country as Soviet Jews would be laughed off by the Republican Party if it well, were. Well, the, the Republican wanted to do basically a new version of the Chinese Exclusion Act. That was only just recently, which is just baffling. Like, it's so racist. So, so ironic with the name of the previous law that it's being based off of, considering right. the current political climate. So. Exactly. So we better end it here. Wait, getting... no, oh, before no? before we end, we need Dave Pilmanstein to tell us all about himself and what he does. And where people can it. find your work. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Hello. <laughs> so, yes. So uh, I I believe that every outbound communication from a political or government entity should not be useless. And therefore, I have made a company about it. My company is called Activate Media. You can find it at activate.media. And what we do is we do messaging and video and web stuff for hardworking people who do good things, Uh, whether it's progressive candidates or nonprofit initiatives or small businesses. I always put it this way, there, there, there's just every day we get hit with an unrelenting daily assault of noise, and I viscerally respond in a bad way to that, and so it's my life's mission to make sure that there's less of that, so that's that. Yeah. Colin, uh, where can people find your work? Um, so I've been doing, a, I do want to plug the work I have been doing. So um, I work, you know, independently outside of my company, Fieldwinds. You can find us at fieldwinds.us. Um, but I've been doing work for the New York City Census. So I've been organizing literally the largest in-person canvas in the United States of America. And we have registered zero COVID cases. And we have over 100 people on staff, counting people in the five boroughs of New York. I'm really proud of the work that we're doing. And again, like I say, 
you know, oftentimes the way that you're going to change somebody's mind is through a communication, whether it's in person or through, you know, any form of media that actually tells a story. And Dave can, can tell the efficacy of that through his work. And I just do it in a little bit different way. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks again for having not only me on, but having Dave on. It's it's always oh, great yeah. to get to talk to all of you guys. So that was great to have both of you on. Hope you, uh, hope both of you can come back again. Yeah, definitely, you guys. You're always welcome. Love to be invited. Love to be on. All right. Well, <laughs> that's it for this week's episode of Jersey Matters. Be sure to check us out on what is it, Instagram? <laughs> I feel like a boomer. All the uh, things. All the things. Instagram. Don't listen to polls. Polls don't vote. Stop listening to polls. <laughs> exactly. Polls don't mean anything. <laughs> so check us out on our Instagram, our website, jerseymatterspodcast.com. Also check out our Twitter, jersey underscore matters. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, yeah goodbye, everyone.